0: You ever had one of those moments where you look back on your life and you think, you know, that that particular decision I made didn't work out all that well. I probably shouldn't have done that. I probably should have gone in another direction. Uh, I hope that when you were talking about what you did last night, that that's not what pops into your head uh, immediately this morning. Uh, but if it is, that's okay. Jesus is all about grace and about mercy and about compassion. Uh, but when I was thinking about uh, some decisions that I probably had in my life that I should have done differently, in high school, my junior year, I tried to actually date two girls at the same time. Uh, one was from Brentwood High School, who I eventually married, although I have no idea why she stuck with me. And the other one was a Kirkwood High School uh, student. And they met one day uh, and, and found out that, that they were both dating me. And that was a really pleasant day in my life. Um, our youngest son Jordan decided that to impress a girl one time, he would actually drive through her front yard instead of driving uh, into her driveway. And that was a decision uh, because of the police car that happened to be going by at the moment. He would live to regret. Um, Cindy's actually had some things that she's done that, that haven't really impacted her the, the same way that those impacted us, but she probably would like to do them differently. One time she was at a garage sale. Cindy loves to uh, go to garage sales. Uh, we're getting a pickup truck next year is my understanding so that we can really get back into garage sailing in, in, in a serious way. And um, she was at a garage sale one time, and it was kind of a rainy day. You know, where it was misty, but not really raining. And she was standing in a garage of a person having the sale. And she said, hey, does that lamp work? And the woman who was in bare feet on concrete plugged the lamp in to see if it worked. She was pretty sure that, that after a few weeks, her arm returned back to the natural color. But, you know, Cindy said, I probably shouldn't have asked her to plug that lamp in at that particular moment. Are there things that you've done that you said, ah, that wasn't the best decision? For the next two weeks, Paul is going to warn us about how not to live a false gospel. When you get around the, the, the idea of Christianity, when you begin to grasp the outer edges of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, you can easily confuse that with some other things. You can, you can live a life that looks to the public like a Christian life, and yet it is, it is actually radically, a radical departure from that. So for the next two weeks, I just want us to think a little bit about um, what shouldn't I do when it comes to the Christian faith? How should I not look at it? That's Paul's concern over, over our next two Sundays. We're going to look this morning at Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 23, uh, where Paul gives us the first of two warnings. You can follow along on the screen or, or on in your own Bibles. Hear the Word of God. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to festival or new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism, worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and its ligament, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to the regulations? Don't touch, don't handle, don't taste, referring to the things that all perish as they are used, according to the human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word to him alone be glory. Let's pray together for a moment. Father, we, uh, we ask this morning for your wisdom and your insight to uh, be applied to our lives. Lord, it's not enough for us to just kind of casually observe scripture. That could get us into real danger. Uh, just as if we, we tried to casually tackle something in our lives without giving it our full attention would lead to failure. So Lord, that's what I, I love about this passage. It's just so practical. It's so down to earth about where we live day in and day out. Lord, I pray that we would not live a false gospel, that we would not believe half-truths, that we would not allow uh, the beauty and the glory of what Jesus has done in his grace and his mercy to be sprinkled, to be, to be seasoned with that which is from below and not from above. So, Father, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds this morning to your truth. We pray that we would submit our will to yours. Lord, every person in this room, wherever we happen to be on our spiritual journey, is in need of your gospel, not our man-made solutions. So, Lord, what I say is an important, it is your eternal truth, for which we long and we desperately need, and we pray for that. Father, please forgive my sin. Please don't let me stand in the way of anybody learning and believing your word this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, our sermon in a sentence this morning and next Sunday as well is going to lean towards the negative. Again, it's kind of what not to do, focusing on external rule-keeping instead of the preeminence of Christ Jesus in my life, is of no spiritual value and must therefore be rejected. Uh, Again, what we're going to hear and look at this morning in Colossians and next week, we're going to see that it's kind of easy to slide from the true gospel into this false gospel. And so Paul very carefully and very pastorally warns us to reject this notion that moves us away From that which God intends for us. I have four observations about this text this morning. The first one is this Paul understands the trap of people pleasing, right? We all have this desire to be liked by others, even those of us that are introverts. My wife is an introvert. I bought her a t shirt last year that said, Hi, I'm an introvert, I'm here, I'm uncomfortable, and I want to go home. And she wears it with pride. And I look at that and I scratch back. I, I don't get it. I don't, I don't understand it. What to, you know, for us, having a few people over for her, that's two or three. For me, it's like 30 or 40. Uh, but, but even if you're an introvert, even if you, uh, you know, kind of get more soul nourishment for being away from people, we still want folks to like us. We still have this desire uh, to be accepted by others. And Paul understands that. And so in verses 16 and 18, he uses the same language. Let no one pass judgment on you. Let no one disqualify you. In other words, he says, do not voluntarily submit your life to the controlling influence of someone else. As a disciple of Jesus, you need to be a thinking disciple. You need to be a feeling disciple. You are responsible for your part of your relationship with the Lord. And as such, we ought not allow others an undue amount of influence. And so when Paul says, don't let someone pass judgment on you, he's not saying that people won't pass judgment on you. Folks probably pass judgment on you all the time. If you have children, they pass judgment on you every day. His notion there is don't let that have an inappropriate amount of influence in your life. Don't let someone disqualify you. Don't let someone influence you to the extent that they take you down a different road other than the gospel. The, the danger that Paul sees is that we can take our focus off of Christ and we can put our focus on man. I just want to make sure that people you know, kind of like me. I, I, I don't want to rock the boat. Uh, in verse 23, he says, these have an appearance of wisdom. These, 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 these um, false teachings have an appearance of wisdom. Who doesn't want to look wise to the people around them? Which one of us doesn't want to, uh, to have a good reputation to be held in high status? Uh, last weekend when I wasn't with you all, I was at a conference in Pittsburgh, and I was standing around with a group of people that I did not know, and we just kind of had barely introduced ourselves to one another. There were about five of us there uh, from all over the country, and the leader of our denomination, a guy named uh, Jeff Jeremiah... Uh, came up and, and uh, entered the group. And everybody knew Jeff. And Jeff was going around saying hello to everybody. He said, now you guys know Tom Ricks, right? And they said, yeah, we, we just met him. He goes, this is Tom Ricks, the, the guy who's in charge of church planting for the EPC. And one guy said, oh, that Tom Ricks. And I went, oh, shucks. You know, that's a, yeah, I don't, I don't do, right? But inside I'm going, oh, wow, I was recognized. I was noticed for for something I did. Who doesn't want that in their life. If, if we're going to, to be disciples of Jesus, we've got to at least be honest enough to say that that can be a danger for us. I'll say for sure for myself, that could be a danger for me to pursue status, to pursue reputation. And so Paul understands the trap of people pleasing, but also understand when he says, let no one, let, let no one uh, pass judgment, let no one disqualify you. What he's reminding us is that that decision is ours to make. It's our responsibility to look at our own hearts and to see if we're actually uh, submitting ourselves to a, a controlling influence that is unhealthy because we're more concerned about what people think of us than our relationship with Jesus Christ. And Paul says, let no one, because he knows that the choice is mine. Don't give others sway that belongs only to Jesus. My second observation is that not only does Paul understand the trap of people pleasing, but he helps us identify the air. How do we recognize it when we're drifting? How do we know when we're getting even a little bit off balance in our relationship with Christ? And he gives us some very clear direction here this morning. Verse 20 and 21, he talks about regulations. He talks about human precepts and teaching in a negative light. Why are you submitting to these things instead of the gospel of Jesus Christ? In verse 23, he talks about it being a self-made or or a man-made religion. This is not the gospel. It's not from Jesus. Well, how do we recognize it? I mean, those words are nice, but but how do I understand them? Well, the first thing is we have to understand what, what we've embraced, what we truly believe as disciples of Jesus. The gospel in in its most pure form, and the the shortest sentence I can can put it in, is salvation by grace alone through faith in Christ Jesus alone, right? So salvation is by grace alone. You don't merit, you don't earn, you can't work for you can't be good enough to erase all the bad things in your heart and in your mind and what comes out in your mouth and the actions of your life. We can't erase those things. If God isn't gracious towards us, we are lost. But God is gracious, and He is merciful to the extent that He sent His one and only Son into the world to die for sinners, just like you and me, people that don't deserve His grace, people that don't deserve His mercy. And yet, there is the Son of God. And just we're in the Lenten season right now. Just a few weeks, a couple of weeks, about three weeks, we're going to be celebrating Good Friday. We're going to we're going to be coming back to the cross and remembering that somber moment. When the son of God, the preeminent son of God, the all authoritative son of God humbled himself and gave his life for you and for me. And so Paul's very clear that this is what we believe and we accept that through faith. We don't say to Jesus, now how can I earn that? How how, how can I make that gift mine by my effort? We say, Lord, I don't deserve it. I can't earn it, but I receive it believing that what you promised to me is true that you promised that if I put my faith in you, that you will save me, that you will erase my sins and you will grant me eternal life. I believe that in faith. That's what we believe. Now, where do we get off base? How do we get off track? Well, I want to introduce maybe a new term to you. Maybe you haven't heard it before. Maybe it's a term with which you're very familiar, but the term is legalism. And legalism is any teaching that adds my human effort. As a means by which I am saved. So, sure, I believe in Jesus. Absolutely. But it's Jesus plus, and then fill in the blank any way you want to. And Paul fills in a few blanks in this passage. Uh, What do we add? You know, how would we say, you know, to be saved, you must do this? Well, in verse 16, Paul says this question of food and drink with regard to festival or new moon Sabbath. What he's saying there is he's he's calling to their attention... The fact that people are saying, you got to have Jesus, and then you've got to follow the, these traditions. You, you've got to do these things. They put that on the positive side of the ledger. If you believe in Jesus, you'll do some really good things. So like you'll, you'll, you'll remember the religious festivals is one thing that, that Paul brings to attention that would have been very pertinent to the Christians in the Colossian church. For us today, you might say, if you're a Christian, if you really love Jesus, you'll tithe. If you really are Christian, you'll, you'll be the perfect parents. Your kids will never mess up. You'll just do everything exactly right. I, I gotta, I'm going to take a pastoral minute here and talk to you young moms and dads. I'm astounded at the pressure you put on yourselves in the way you're raising your children, and how you, how you are so nervous about everybody around you looking at you and feeling like you're not doing it quite right. I know that because I actually read my Facebook page every once in a while, and I look at the conversations that are going back and forth, and somehow I think even in our parenting, that notion of I've got to do things a certain way can slip in and can replace the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe we say, you know, if you want to be saved as Jesus, plus make sure you got to volunteer whether it's at your church or in your community. Paul says that we can add things that in and of themselves are good, but when we put them on top of the cross of Jesus Christ, they actually become an abomination. They, they become something that replaces the, the pure and perfect work of Jesus on the cross. So Paul says, be careful to see that, to, to understand it, and to know that it's not true. Another thing we might say is, to be saved, we've got to be really extra spiritual. In verse 18, he says, don't anybody disqualify you by insisting on asceticism or the worship of angels, going into details about vision. We, we would say in our day and age, for the person you know, that considers themselves really spiritual. You know, their, their prayer life is just much deeper than everyone's else. And may, maybe they speak in tongues on a regular basis and, and they've become to understand that if you don't speak in tongues, you know, you're probably not a follower of Jesus. You probably aren't truly a Christian because you don't have this super spiritual aura about you all the time. You know, you just kind of don't have that, that glow that I have in my life. And, and there must be something wrong with your faith. Maybe, maybe your faith isn't really genuine. And Paul says, nonsense. Watch out for this. Recognize it. Don't let something beautiful like prayer turn into something ugly, like a means by which you could actually attempt to earn your salvation. Paul says also, there are things that people say that we ought not do in verse 21. He says, you know, why are you submitting yourself to so don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? And in, and in Paul's day, there was a lot of conversation about food that was sacrificed to false gods. And you could go to the market and you could buy that, that food at a discount. You could buy that meat at a discount. And some Christians would do that. And other Christians would say, that, that food was sacrificed to an idol. It's been corrupted. You can't be a Christian and have that sausage for dinner tonight. That, just, that will disqualify your salvation. And Paul says, what are you talking about? You don't, you, don't, you don't earn your salvation by not doing the bad things. You always say you, you better not cuss if you're a Christian. You better not have too much money if you're a Christian. You better not ever have a cigar or a glass of wine if you're a Christian. I hope nobody looks at my Facebook page for my study week last week. <laughs> in moderation, I enjoyed both of those things. Adding anything to Jesus' work on the cross and our faith alone in him is debilitating to our discipleship. Not only that, friends, it's exhausting. If you're going to try to follow all these rules every day, day in and day out, you are going to be one of the most joyless, tired people that that, that you know or anybody else knows. Because it's not about keeping a set of rules. Let me give you two two good verses to remember in and, and identifying there. Both of these come out of Galatians. One of my favorite books in all of the Bible. and Paul says a couple things in Galatians. In chapter five, he says this, for in Christ Jesus, in the grace of God, that we just, a grace of God by faith in Christ Jesus, what we just talked about in the gospel, in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith expressing itself through love. Now in our, in Paul's day and age, some Jewish Christians were saying, well, you got to be circumcised if you're really going to be a Christian. And Paul says, being circumcised or not being circumcised isn't the issue. So fill in the blank however you want to, you know, making sure that that you're the, the perfect parent or, or not making sure you're the perfect parent. None of those are of any value. The only thing that counts is faith in Christ. It's expressed in faith and, and it's evident by love. Having a good reputation, having a bad reputation, having a perfect marriage, having an awful marriage, having a lot of money, having no money, put in the blank whatever you want to. None of those have any bearing, on the grace of God. The second verse is where Paul says in chapter six, for, for far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus. You think about all the stuff that Paul could boast about, his church planting, his, his led, who knows how many thousands of people to salvation, all the years that he traveled all over the near, uh, the near Middle East and, and Southeastern uh, Europe, spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. He had a lot to boast about, and he said, but it only comes down to one thing. It's the cross of Christ. It's the gospel. We need to be able to identify the air and see it in our own lives so that we can guard against it. The reason this is important is my third observation is we need to be able to understand the potential danger that comes if we end up living this way. Paul says in chapter 18, let no one disqualify you. And then look at this next word, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels going on and on, so on and so forth. We are, this, the, this person is insisting, you can't be a Christian unless you are like this. That sounds like enslavement to me. It enslaves us to false teaching and perhaps even enslaves us to false teachers themselves who insist on loyalty to them, not to the Lord Jesus. And when we hear that, we need to understand it for what it is. Paul says, don't don't let yourself be captured. Don't let yourself be overpowered by someone who would insist on you living a certain way or not being a Christian by someone's standards other than the Lord Jesus himself. The reason why this is dangerous is because in verse 23, he says, there's actually no eternal benefit to this. There's no benefit. there's There's no basis for it in making our soul uh, in better condition before our God, right? These have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion, but they are of no value. Um, back in January, we uh, our hot water heater went out. I don't know if I mentioned this to you or not, but our hot water heater went out. And I was pretty certain that I could fix our hot water heater. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I talked to you about our hot water heater uh, on a couple of different occasions. And I'm not a fix it up guy by any stretch of the imagination. So for two weeks, and uh, maybe I should back up they say there, there are basically three fundamental parts to a hot water heater. The one that I broke was the third one I ordered. (laughs) And it takes a little while for it to be shipped back and for the next one to come, and then a little while longer for the next one to come and be shipped back and and send it back. So I kept saying to Cindy, I'm sure tomorrow we're going to have hot water, which is fine in June. It's not all that great in January, right? So here I am thinking I know what I'm doing and adding no value whatsoever to the, to the, the ability of my house to have hot water. It's of no value. I was of no value. I was actually I was of less than no value. I was actually bringing harm to my marriage relationship by not getting the help. Just calling somebody, to say, "Please come, take care of this. I don't know what I'm doing." Paul says, "When we walk down this pathway, when we enter into these errors, it's of no value to us. It doesn't help us in any sense of the world. In fact, the result is the opposite." of helping. The, the, the result is the exact opposite. What happens is it leads us into hypocrisy, right? Paul says it's of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. When we focus on what we must add to, or what we must take away from, or, or the things we ought not do, where or, or focuses focus is on our external behavior, on being really super spiritual, on, on whatever we think it is black what we end up doing is we can't live up to that. We can't live up to the standard we set for ourselves and we fail. And that makes us what? It makes us hypocrites. I was reading uh, recently some of Abraham Lincoln's speeches and I came across a speech he gave actually in 1854, those so six years before he was elected uh, as president. And he's talking about the, what slavery has done to make Americans hypocrites. And, and I, I, it, I read this and it just jumped off the page of me, not only talking about the history of our, of our nation. And, and a, certainly an, an awful moment in our history, ongoing moments in our history. But it also is like, yes, this is what happens in the church as well. And Lincoln says this, this declared indifference for the spread of slavery. So some people are saying, you know, the argument was should... Ter- should. Um, slavery be allowed in the territories. And and, and should states that come into the union later on be allowed to choose or not? And some people are saying it really doesn't matter. Let the states pick. Lincoln said, this declared indifference for the spread of slavery, I cannot but hate. I hate it because of the monstrous injustice of slavery itself. I hate it because it deprives our Republican example of its just influence in the world enables the enemies of free institution with plausibility to taunt us as hypocrites, causes the real friends of freedom to doubt our sincerity, and especially because it forces so many good men among ourselves into an open war with the very fundamental principles of civil civil liberty, criticizing the Declaration of Independence, and insisting that there is no right principle of action but self-interest." Lincoln was certainly uh, a man ahead of his time, but he, he rightly points out, how can you believe in the Declaration of Independence and not believe for the Declaration of Independence for every human being? How can we say we're disciples of Jesus and then live a life that's full of rule keeping and concern about outward behavior instead of inward transformation of the heart? We need to understand that this is potentially dangerous for our souls and fourthly, we also need to remember the all-important connection that is really ours in Christ Jesus. In verse 17, Paul says this. These, he's talking about some of these rules. These were a shadow of the things to come uh, because the things that are mentioned are not in and of themselves bad thing. Observing a religious festival is not a bad thing. Not, not, uh, not breaking the law, that, that's not a, a bad thing. Uh, it's avoiding things that I ought not to be uh, involved in. and We're going to talk about that next week, uh, the opposite of what we're talking about this morning. Those aren't in and of themselves bad things until we make them the focus, until we make them what our faith is all about. And so Paul reminds us, they're just a shadow of the things to come, but the substance, the authority, the power, the glory, that belongs to Jesus, God in the flesh, the preeminent one in all things. That's why our focus Our faith and our lives rest in him and not on external outward behavior. Paul also says in verse 19, we need to remember the power and the plan, not only of of Jesus, but of God the Father. He talks about these who are not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and its ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. Does God want to see change in your life and in my life? Absolutely, yes. There is no question about that. Three weeks from now, we, we will talk about what that part of it looks like. But how does God go about that work? By concentrating on our outward behavior? By giving us some simple rules to follow? Some things to avoid over here? Some kind of spiritual things to do over there? No. He changes us from the inside out. He's like, he's like blood flowing through our veins. He, he, he changes and grows us for his glory and for our good. The first thing Paul says is we're nourished. We are empowered by faith. When you trust in Jesus, when you say, Lord, I I am relying completely on you for my salvation, you're saying that you're, you're taking and accepting the power of Jesus into your life. That what he did on the cross is powerful enough to overcome your sin and your rebellion and your brokenness and to bring you into salvation. He nourishes you. But then he says that that this body is knit together, that he brings us into authentic community that's established by God. I promise you, if next March you're having a cup of coffee with somebody that comes and shops at affordable Christmas, that will be an act of God. That will be the binding and the healing and the restorative power of God himself. It won't be because we came up with a great idea on how to care for people in our community right? God is the one who knits together. God is the one who takes our brokenness and he heals it and he brings us into authentic relationship with him and therefore with each other. And he also says what? God does this, why? To grow us. This this body is growing with a growth that is not man-made, but it is from God. I think that growth is twofold. First of all, I think it means our faith grows deeper. Your individual faith, my individual faith, as I rest in the gospel of Jesus Christ grows deeper. I need Jesus more and more every day. I trust him more and more every day. And I'm growing as his disciple in my faith in him alone for his grace in my life alone. But I also believe that scripture teaches that when that happens, God does use us to transform our society. That God does use us to invite more people into the kingdom. And faith begets faith. And I believe that as we walk in this grace, as we walk in the gospel, people will begin to notice that and begin to ask questions in your office place, in our neighborhood, in our schools. What's different about you? What's different about me is not that I'm a good church-going guy. What's different about me is the grace of God and only the grace of God through Christ Jesus. Well, how can I have that? Well, let's get a cup of coffee and talk about that because that's something I can tell you. All right? Faith begets faith. Uh, in three Saturdays, about 20 of us are going to join with about 10 friends from across the street at Unity Baptist. And we're going to walk uh, about a six block radius of this building. And we're going to do something that, that now it's going to make you really uncomfortable. I'll just tell you that right now. As middle class folks is going to kind of bug you. We're going to knock on people's doors and we're going to introduce ourselves to our neighbors And we're going to say, hey, we're from Green Tree Community Church, and we're from Unity Baptist. And we want you to know that that we want you to have a place to worship on Easter if you don't have any place to worship. If you have a church home, great. But if not, we just want you to know we're going to be here. And by the way, in May, we're going to have a block party, and we'll tell you more about that later. But we just wanted to say hello. Why? Because the gospel compels us to share the grace of Jesus with other people. And now that we have a home, now that we have a location, we live in a neighborhood. And how can we share the gospel with people across town when we won't go and knock on somebody's door two blocks over? I can't put those two things together in my mind. If the gospel of Jesus is going to compel us to move in in, in a direction of love, it seems like it's going to start right in our own neighborhood. Paul understands this all important connection to our head, to, to our God and to our Savior, the Lord Jesus. So how do we apply this? this morning. Well, the first thing is this. Because this is such a subtle sin, because you can slip into it so easily, you can move away from grace and you can move into works pretty quickly, into legalism. I've given you a little sentence here that you could actually preach to yourself every day. And it goes something like this. Jesus saved me from sin and death and from my man-made, moralistic, self-righteous, life-sucking, exhausting legalism. Right? Can I get an amen for that? Come on. That's a heck of a sentence right there. That took me 20 minutes to write yesterday. Huh? <laughs> but it's true. It's true. Legalism, it, it, it sucks the spiritual life out of you. But I need to remember that every day, because every day I'm tempted to be a people pleaser. Every day I'm tempted to do it on my own strength. Every day I'm, I'm tempted to forget the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I need to say, I need to look in the mirror and say that sentence to me a whole lot more probably than you need to say it to you. But I wanted to share it with you if you think it will be helpful to remember. That it's the preeminent power of Jesus that sets us free through the gospel. Second application is this learn to ask those who sound sketchy, Jesus plus what? Uh, now, that, that's a, a minor application, I think, because I believe at Green Tree, we preach the gospel of Jesus. I believe our, what you're, if you have kids downstairs right now, what they're hearing is not a moralistic teaching. What they're hearing is the gospel of Jesus. I have great faith in the, in the people who are leaders and teachers at Green Tree that they're staying true to the word of God. But every once in a while, you might hear something, even at Green Tree Community Church, that sounds not like the gospel, but it's Jesus plus something. At that moment, be wise enough, be, be friendly, Right? I have to be rude. Be wise enough to say, "No, wait a minute. Are we saying Jesus plus something, or are we just saying Jesus?" Because the world doesn't need a bunch of moralistic people. The world doesn't need a bunch of hypocrites who make a bunch of rules and then can't follow them themselves. What the world needs is a group of people who understand that God has done something amazingly gracious for a pretty corrupt sinner, and they want to live in that truth, and they want to share that truth with others. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you love us enough to warn us off of, of behavior and thinking that is unhealthy for us. Lord, I thank you that in a couple of weeks, we're, we're going to see the beauty of what happens when you do transform us. Uh, but in the meantime, Lord, especially this morning, guard us against legalism against the notion that outward behavior is what's important in making sure that we look good and our reputation's right. and We're not going to do the bad stuff. We're only going to do the good stuff. Father, guard us from that hypocrisy and from that lie. Give us the humility that we need to accept the gospel for what it is, the only means by which anyone under heaven can be saved. But it is also the means by which everyone under heaven must be saved. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you would use your preeminent power and authority to become a servant even to death on a cross. May that be our rest. May that be our hope. May that be our life. We pray in your name. Amen. You all stand with us.
1: ever hope to be.
0: With us this morning, uh, our prayer team, our Stephen ministers, are always right over here in this corner. If we can pray for you about anything, if you'd like to talk to somebody about some uh, any needs you may uh, have or struggles you're going through, uh, they're here for you and they would love to hang out with you. Coffee and donuts uh, out in the atrium. It'd be a good day to take your coffee and donuts and go outside and enjoy the wonderful February St. Louis weather. And now receive the Lord's benediction, which I gladly offer to you in His name. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, empower you and equip you to follow him, not rules, not regulations, but him until the day you see him face to face. Amen. The Lord bless you. Go in peace.
1: Draw me gently to my knees and I
2: runs deep. Your grace is mine. Grace is fine. she's so nice my when Listening. oh God.
1: There's a day. Shoot the guy. From wherever you've been, come brokenhearted, let the rescue begin. Come find your mercy, oh sinner, come near. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. So lay. Lay down your shame. who oh, broken, lift up your face. Oh wanderer, come home. You're not too far. So lay